0: Welcome to a special edition of the Darden Admissions Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. On this episode of the podcast, I'm excited to share my recent conversation with Allison Elias. Allison is an assistant professor of business administration and member of the communication faculty here at the Darden School of Business. And she and I recently connected to talk more about her background, what she enjoys about teaching at Darden, her recent book, The Rise of Corporate Feminism, as well as two of her electives, Negotiation and Women, Gender, and Work. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So, without further ado, here is my interview with Allison Elias. Allison, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Brett.
0: Well, it's great having you here. How are you doing?
1: Thanks. I'm I'm doing great. I um we just finished up Q1, uh, first quarter here in the residential program, so doing some grading and getting ready for Q2 to start.
0: Uh, what class were you teaching in quarter one?
1: Quarter one, I had one section of negotiations and one section of um, an elective called Women, Gender, and Work. Um, And then in quarter two, I'll have two sections of the core leadership communication class for the first years. So it'd be great to get to know some of them.
0: Yeah, staying busy.
1: Yeah, staying busy. Staying busy.
0: All right. Well, let's talk a little bit more about you. We're going to talk about the electives you mentioned, negotiation and women, gender and work a little bit later in the conversation. But before we get there, just want to set the scene and give our listeners a chance to get to know you a bit better. So tell us a little bit more about you. Who are you and what's your background?
1: Sure. Um, I uh, grew up in Roanoke, Virginia, so just a couple hours away from Charlottesville. And i um, Always loved school, um, (laughs) wanted to figure out a way to never leave school, so led me into academia. Um, I I came to UVA for uh, my undergraduate and my graduate degrees and um, actually got my PhD in history. I studied modern women's history um, and business history. Um, And while I was finishing my dissertation, I uh, worked as a research assistant at Darden for the Institute for Business and Society, and um, did some case writing, and you know, supported different projects and courses. And um, I went, I went off to teach elsewhere, but um, got really excited by the opportunity to return to Darden, and um, and yeah, just got back here a couple years ago as full time faculty.
0: So interesting to think about. You don't hear a lot of PhDs in history who end up working at a business school.
1: Yeah, you know, um, especially in a communications area, uh, some of them end up more in like a strategy area when thinking about, you know, global strategies or markets or how how economies develop. Um, I like to think of myself as really good at storytelling in a way of, you know, thinking about the past and stories about the past narratives we hold, you know, about the United States or other countries and, You know who is part of the economy and who is not, and um, and so I like to think that my work contributes to bringing new stories um, to the front and making them more visible and encouraging MBA students to think about their stories and how they want to shape them. You know, moving on past starting.
0: Yeah, what is it like to teach a leadership communication class to MBA students? How how do you approach that?
1: It's. Amazing. Um, I am getting really excited to meet the first years and um, I think that, uh, you know, we team teach our our required core courses and um, our course head Brian Moriarty is amazing. And we do um, a really, really impactful assignment at the beginning of the class, which is each student has to come to the front of the room and tell a story about themselves for five minutes, about um, their values in action, you know, what that led them to Darden, who they are. Um, They can choose what they want it to be. But um, it's obviously both a vulnerable, um, you know, exercise, but one that creates trust among the students, especially because they're in a smaller class size. So they've been split from their normal class of 70 into 35. And um, it it's so amazing to hear all about, um, you know, where students come from, what motivates them, you know, what what their dreams are, what experiences have shaped them. And I think that the students really remember that moving on as a way that they got to know their peers on a different level. And it just really creates a um, an environment of trust and respect for each other as, as we move um, throughout the course and some of the other assignments regarding more you know, pre- presentations in business environments and things like that.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to think about that. Is like where you start the class because I, I, obviously the students have been in the programming missions, the Q two class, so they've been going through uh, coursework and they've had some opportunities to speak in class, but not quite the same thing as st- standing up at the front of the class, giving a five minute talk about an experience you had, your your values, these kinds of things.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's really. I would say nothing um, more challenging and I, you know, so obviously some students, you know, feel a lot more fear and, um, you know, sort of hesitation about it than others. Um, But I have to say, I feel like most students I know feel like that it's such a big reward when they do it because especially if they are, you know, more introverted or haven't been prone to speaking in class, it, it honestly kind of pushes them into the deep end. And then, you know, just giving comments in class seems like, you know, really easy compared to having to go in the front and talk about yourself. Um, and I would have to say that one thing I love about Darden is just how respectful uh, students are to each other. So I've never once had to, you know, tell students to pay attention or put down their phones. Um, I mean, it's obviously a, a, an assignment where, you know, an active listening and engagement is really important, um, you know, for the storyteller. And that just seems to be intuitive, you know, to our students, which, you know, I think it says a lot about our culture and who chooses to join it.
0: Well, listen, uh, I mentioned we talked about your electives, but I, I want to talk about a book you recently uh, published about the, called The Rise of Corporate Feminism. Uh, where was where did the inspiration for this book come from?
1: Yeah, this book, um, you know, really kind of emerged during my you know, graduate school years and and writing my dissertation and doing research for that. And um, simultaneously, while I was researching, you know, women's um, sort of place in the office in the United States and what kind of work women had done historically in businesses, The book "Lean In," um, you know, by Sheryl Sandberg, you know, made such a big impact, um, you know, just in in broader society. And I would have to say that the sort of idea of the book is thinking about tracing the roots of corporate feminism, or what I would call kind of a lean-in kind of feminism, or um, you know, thinking about you know leadership development of women. And um, and so the book really traces. Where women sort of came from, what obstacles they faced, and you know what what feminism was able to offer, and and also where we still you know have a ways to go and are are still working to create um, a most equitable and inclusive environment um, for everyone.
0: What was the most surprising thing you discovered as you were working on this book?
1: You know, it was so fun. This book is, um, was based on archival evidence. So, you know, going into boxes of papers and looking at things um, as well as a lot of interviews um, with women who, you know, came of age during this period. And I would have to say um, probably the most surprising and fun stuff that I really enjoyed researching was um, I came across, I was up at Smith College in their archives and I came across a box of letters, unpublished letters to the editor of Working Woman Magazine, which um, was sort of the first magazine geared towards professional women and giving them advice. And you could you could think about it in a way as a precursor to lean in or the the sort of you know sort of abundance of books we now have and, and articles about you know how women should act and behave in the workplace. And um, these unpublished letters Um, were just so jarring to me because they were all from women who felt like the magazine did not speak to them. Um, And they were, they were these letters, um, you know, saying like, well, you know, I work as a, um, you know, a receptionist at a business and I consider myself, you know, a professional woman, but I feel like the articles, you know, in your magazine um, are geared more towards women who are aspiring to be executives, and that's not something that, you know, I'm able to do right now with, you know, the demands I have for my family or or things like this, and I felt like it was this moment where women's voices that might have been lost, um, you know, and and people might not have ever read or these obviously were not published, um, you know, I was able to bring those into into the book and, you know, have them be published and have these voices kind of live on. so that we kind of understand the complicated situation of the emergence of women into the C suite um, and how other women, uh, how that made other women feel to have that sort of happening but feel like they couldn't figure out how to get there or do it um, because of a number of different constraints they might have faced.
0: So what would, for you, I mean there's, there's undoubtedly many takeaways uh, from your book, but what stands out to you as you think about the book and, and like maybe one of the key takeaways?
1: I think one of the key takeaways is for you know women who have the privilege to aspire to executive positions or you know reach the C-suite to remember the sort of constraints that a lot of other women face uh, that they're you know either not able to finish college degrees, they have responsibilities with family or children that that might take precedence over you know being able to pursue professional ambitions, and so. Um, I, I'm really um, delighted that actually when I teach my elective to uh, the, you know, second year students, I, I don't even have to say that um, or talk about that. They sort of naturally bring inequality um, and economic inequality and social inequality into the conversation in ways. Um, for example, we had a, a group of students give a presentation, a final presentation on fertility benefits the sort of rise of um companies offering fertility benefits to professional women to try to attract you know women and and um and you know kind of um you know p- help pay for these or defray the cost and um you know this group focused without my nudging at all on um you know what this meant for a lot of who was left out basically of you know this privilege um and the fact that to get these benefits, you know, you had to be working for, for certain, you know, highly esteemed companies and be in these you know, sort of professional roles and also have a formal employment contract. So if you were a contract worker or, you know, contingent worker, that's not going to be some, you know, you don't have that kind of medical coverage. And so, um, yeah, so those were all things that, you know, our students are, are such critical big world thinkers and think about social problems so much that um, being at Darden is is such a great fit for, you know, seeing, seeing that come to life um, because Darden students really have ambitions to, you know, be really good people. You know, at UVA we say, um, you know, great and good. So um, Darden students really wanna be good, not just, you know, great individually at something.
0: So I'm curious. uh, Folks spend some time on your faculty profile. They'll notice that your areas of expertise include gender and and social movements, and I wonder what attracted you uh, to these areas.
1: You know, really growing up um, in Roanoke, I grew up in a a sort of traditional suburban, um, you know, community, and um, you know was was privileged enough that my mother um you know stayed at home and and raised four kids my father worked as a physician and um I, you know i had uh, you know it it was it was uh, you know a great upbringing i had a lot of um you know amazing opportunities but it was also one where um it was a little bit out of the ordinary um you know for the friend you know my friends moms to have jobs um and um, or at least to, you know, have a kind of a professional career, so to speak. And um, I just became really interested in looking, you know, even as a child, I was when I was 13, I remember, you know, my parents sort of said, OK, now you can start babysitting for the neighbors and, you know, you're going to you know start earning your own money. And I, I remember I was really the worst babysitter. I, I was not a good babysitter. I also just sort of encountered some situations where I, you know, just was unprepared to handle it. And um, the other thing happening was um my brother, my older brother was mowing yards um in the neighborhood instead. And I said to my parents, you know, why can't I would rather mow yards? Um, I don't, I don't want to babysit. And, you know, my brother's actually making twice the money I am um being a babysitter and you know, my parents fairly conservative and that, you know, really wasn't something that they wanted to, to you know, to advance, but it was something, you know, kind of just small experiences like that during my upbringing, I think made me start to question, you know, why we we have certain assumptions about what type of work, um, you know, men and women should do um, and, and how it's valued um, in a capitalist society.
0: And how how'd you get interested in social movements? Was there an actualizing experience that you had?
1: You know, not not so much. I think it was just being interested in these great moments of change. Um, and maybe they're not even worth calling moments because it takes a long time, you know, for for big social um, changes to happen and social norms. But um, as I started started to study women's participation in the economy and and the type of work women have been doing have, have been doing for you know decades and centuries um i just became interested in those moments where there were shifts and i think that that's what led me to um you know study feminism at first and um you know more recently i you know am interested in more recent you know you could say social movements like black lives matter and me too and Um, You know, movements that maybe take place um, just as much on social media, um, you know, as, you know, sort of in as as much as collective bodies coming together, but, you know, people sort of um, organizing on social media.
0: I want to talk about uh, your electives now, and I'd like to start by talking about negotiations. I know this is a class you taught also in the executive MBA program, which is which yeah. is always interesting to me as somebody who leads recruitment for our professional degree programs. But what do you enjoy uh, about teaching negotiations?
1: I love teaching negotiations because we learn by doing. Um, and I think what I, I love about it is that in some ways it's a really challenging class to teach because you have people coming from all sorts of different backgrounds or, you know, comfort levels with negotiating, you know, there's people who, especially in the executive MBA program have been negotiating contracts, you know, maybe large government contracts for, for many years, Um, you know, and then you, you get people who don't really feel like they have taken place, you know, or take taken um, been a part of negotiations much at all. And um, I think that part of the joy of the class is that even the people who think, that they know how to do it, um, just the the sort of practice and the types of exercises we do and the way the class builds on itself um, and sort of previous, the learnings from previous negotiations sort of play into the, the next uh, week. I think, you know, students really come away with, with something, um, you know, whether that's a huge jump or kind of just being able to examine their tendencies um, It's also a very self-reflective class, so I tell students that um, you're gonna get out of it what you put into it, and a lot of it is, you know, examining your own tendencies and, you know, how you tend to, um, you know, go through the negotiation process. So we do a lot of um, work on, um, you know, we have an assignment that's a personal goal statement. We, um, you know, give feedback um, to each other, you know, formally after the negotiation. we analyze, you know, a negotiation experience in the class as our final paper. And so um, students are really able to customize um, the course and the content to, to really speak to the questions they have about themselves as negotiators.
0: Yeah, I always enjoy uh, seeing students uh, engaged in that class because you see little groups of them. All yeah. going through a negotiation. I've even been able to participate in one of these negotiations. I think they were probably short sure of volunteer to be right back to yes. law school. It was great. Yes. Yeah.
1: That's right. I, I remember that. And um yeah, this stu- obviously, you know, it's it's more fun to learn by doing. And so what better way to learn negotiation than to just do exercises and then get back together and talk about them? And so um most students really enjoy the class and enjoy the experiential learning.
0: Well, let's also talk about your elective that you mentioned here a couple times, uh, Women, Gender, and Work. Um, I'm always curious, where where does the inspiration for a class come from? So how did you decide that this was a class that you wanted to offer?
1: Yeah, um, at past institutions, I've taught um, classes that were titled Women in Leadership. And um, I debated, you know, when I was designing the selective and forwarding it to the a curriculum committee, I sort of debated what I was going to call it, and I I decided I wanted to include both women and gender in the title, with the reason being that, um, you know, the protagonists of a lot of our cases are, um, you know, do identify as women, and, um, you know, where those sorts of stories are less common in business schools. So, I did want to make sure it was about women and not just gender, but with that said, Obviously, you can't talk about women without talking about, you know, gender, um, you know, as a category of analysis. And so I I sort of wanted both in the title to say we are going to elevate the stories of women we, you know, and promote um, women um, in what they do in the workplace. But this course is obviously also about gender. And we do have a case about um, someone who we have a masculinity case um, about someone who identifies as male. Um, and I decided I wanted to make it about work um instead of leadership. And part of that was um just a desire to, um, I don't know, broaden the discussion of leadership to include um people who don't necessarily think they're leaders. Um, so, you know, we have cases of people who aren't necessarily managing other people. Um, you know, we also learn do the second half of the course is tailored towards skills building. And so we do different exercises on on networking and, you know, shaping one's career. Um, and so I wanted, you know, it to be both about work that's paid, but also, you know, other, other roles people have and other identities as, you know, family members, um, you know, parents, siblings, um, you know, other things that are important to people.
0: It sounds super interesting. It's interesting to hear and to make the distinction between work and, and leadership. When I think about reading a case about a leader, in my mind it immediately goes to someone in the C-suite. Whereas, like work feels much more inclusive. It could be a lot of of different different things, right? It Doesn't necessarily have to be just corporate uh, context.
1: Yeah. Thanks for saying that. That's kind of was my motivation was to just think more broadly about. You know, all the types of work that are happening in the economy that are paid for and, and not paid for. And um, and so I, I thought, well, I'll try calling it, you know, having work in the title and, you know, maybe revisit it as leadership. But um, I also didn't want it to appear to be a, a a prescriptive class for women only, like here's what you need to do to be a leader. Um, and we do have men in the class, and so I wanted it to just be more broadly about. About work and how people are sorted into work and the opportunities they have at work.
0: I know this class was very, very popular with students. It was in the rated in the top ten percent of of Darden electives, and that's a tremendous. Congratulations on, on that. Um, what do you enjoy about teaching this course?
1: Uh, I love this course. I mean, I I spend so much time on it because it's um, it's just you know, my personal and professional passions coming together. Um, maybe one of my favorite things about the course is that um, the final project of the course is for students to interview an alum. Um, and so I, I spend a lot of time working on pairing students with an alum and we, we survey alums and sort of get their industry experience and jobs they've had. And and we try to, and sort of what they've done at Darden too, you know, what clubs or um, interests they had at Darden. And, and then I try to pair each student based on their own um, bio and demographics with an alum. And um, it's really rewarding for the students to come up to me and say, I had the best, you know, conversation with this person and you know, we're going to stay in touch. And, um, you know, I learned so much talking to them and they they were so candid with me. And I feel like there's no better way to leverage, you know, the Darden network and the Darden community than, you know, bring alums back into the classroom to, to help talk to, you know, our students and share their experiences um, after, you know, they've left Darden. What's
0: the nature of that conversation or Are- are they asking questions that are informed by a particular lens, or is it just tell me about your career? Or?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, so as a class, we we come up with um, I would say kind of a an interview guide loosely. So we kind of um I have the students sort of come into the conversation, you know, with with some questions in mind. But with that said, I tell students to, you know, research their person and you know, obviously, feel free to pose questions. You know, unique questions to them, um, and you know, and also to to go off script, so to speak. Um, which I'm sure you you know about from running a successful podcast. You kind of come in with, you know, kind of questions you want to target. But if something comes up that is, uh, you know, a bit off of the the guide, you you know, you're excited to explore that too. And um, it's both personal and professional um questions. It's and a lot of times um, women really you know our, our alums are pretty eager to share you know choices they've made or ways that they have navigated um, you know work and family. And so that does end up being um, you know, a chunk of the conversation and and pretty prominent in most of the interviews. and then um, students end up writing a reflective case study about their experience um, that that features the person that they talk to.
0: One of the things we try to do here on the podcast is kind of bring people a little bit into the classroom, talk about maybe a case uh, that you that you really enjoy from this this class. Is there one that comes to mind uh, that you think my people might be interested in hearing about here?
1: Yeah, um I you know i I wrote this case. It's actually still in draft form being edited, but um, I came across um just some really interesting articles about Sonia Sotomayor um the supreme court justice and she is a very open about her background and sort of how her her coming of age experiences have shaped you know her and her professional journey and you know while I was not able to interview her I decided I wanted to write a publicly sourced case um about her and about sort of what motivated her and um and then the case examines to what extent you know, she should bring herself and her values into the congressional hearings. She faces some tough choices because of um, the scrutiny um, about her, quote, wise Latina comment. Um, And, you know, she knows the case kind of ends that she knows she's going to be asked by a lot of Congress people about the comment. And, um, you know, it it was perceived in some ways as inappropriate. And sort of how should she, you know, should she defend it? Should she try to explain it? Should she distance herself from it? So a lot of it was about, the, the case really brings up an interesting conversation in class about, um, you know, when when people feel like they can share their identity and then when people feel like they might need to scale back. And we, we sort of talk about it over the course of a career. And then we sort of look at um, how she, um, you know, talks about, the comments after she is confirmed as Supreme Court justice. And we talk about how, you know, maybe throughout the course of the career, um, you know, you have different approaches to deploying your identity or or how you manage your identity um, at work. And, you know, we talk about, you know, what what people think about that and, you know, what is their plan. Um, And so I feel like I really like that case because I just like, the story. And it, it's interesting to students to get to, you know, think about what she said and watch videos of her. Um, but it also allows them to to ask big questions about their own life and, you know, think about what they're, what they're wanting to do in the future.
0: Well, how do you see this course fitting into uh, a student's MBA experience? Obviously it comes in, in the second year students are taking electives, uh, but beyond that, how do you see this fitting within the broader sort of MBA? program
1: for students? Yeah, I would call it, you know, a, a, I think it's a course that pushes students to think about their own stories, um, both stories of, like, what led them to Darden and and what has shaped them and their values and their professional interests, and as well as um, the the course tries to give them tools to, um, you know, further craft their careers after Darden and, you know, to think about you know where they want to be. Um, one of the quotes we talk about is, um, you know, you you need to sort of figure out your own story, lest someone else kind of shape it for you. Um, and so there are sort of broader norms or, you know, kind of tendencies of, you know, maybe going in one direction or another, and and you have to be very aware and cognizant of of what you want to be able to try to take, you know, have agency and and take control of. Of shaping your your story, um, you know your broader life story.
0: So, last thing, uh, what what's your favorite thing about Darden? What, what do you enjoy uh, about the school community?
1: Oh, I just I love the students. I love that the students are at Darden to learn and engage and uh, learn from each other, um, and they're open to you know personal growth and learning about themselves and. Um, it's just really just the best, best place to get to teach, um, you know, with students who are really committed um, to the academics, um, want to do more reading. You know, like I have, you know, these long lists of recommended readings um, for my women in gender class. And, you know, students love that. You know, students tell me, oh, I read this. And um, just the, the intellectual um, exchange that happens in the Darden classroom and outside of the Darden classroom is seems beyond compare to me and I, I love getting to be a part of that community and be part of that you know intellectual discourse
0: well Allison thank you so much for coming on the show to talk about about your elective and share your story with our listeners
1: thanks so much for having me Brett
0: And that was my interview with Allison Elias, an assistant professor of business administration and member of the communication faculty area here at the Darden School of Business. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at Darden, that's D-A-R-D-E-N, at virginia.edu. Until next time, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.